Hi, everybody. My name is Piper Payne. I'm a mastering engineer here in the Bay Area. We'll start with uh, our, our panel on sound quality matters, quality sound matters. This is uh, Randy Leisure from Pono at the end. Maureen Droney from the Recording Academy. Ryan Ulyate. He's a producer and engineer, most specifically with Tom Petty. And Mark Ruxin from RDO. Okay, so we're going to start, just because we're now running a tiny bit behind, but we'll start with Maureen. Maureen, my main question for you is, starting with our, <laughs> our high-res audio uh, initiative from the, from the Recording Academy, why, did you, why, are, why are you starting this? Why, is, why are we interested in this? Well... Because uh, my job is working with producers and engineers. I was an engineer in San Francisco, actually, a long time ago. And um, I work with people who spend their whole lives making great-sounding music. That's why they do it. They're always... Um, I don't know, some of you know who Dave Pensado is, who has Pensado's place. Dave said, says that you're, what engineers are doing when they're mixing is they're always trying to get to that place where they feel like they did the first time they worked on something or heard something that made them want to be an engineer. So they're always striving for greatness, and it's about sound. So that's the, the people that surround me, so I know this is real. You know, it's not like we were having this conversation a little while ago about um, can people really hear the difference? Well, there are people who hear the difference all the time, and, and the conclusion we came to actually was that people just generally don't get the opportunity to hear the difference today because they're not listening in ways that they can, right? So that's part of it. So to me, it's a given, right? I work for people who do this, and um, uh, in 2011, the Consumer Electronics Association did some research just about the time when everyone was saying nobody's ever going to care anymore. And their research was uh, to consumers about uh, what did they think about good audio? Were they interested in good audio? And the answers to the survey were yes, but they didn't know what it was anymore. So that sort of brought, uh, they didn't know what to ask for. They didn't, you know, they were confused. So that sort of brought us to a committee called Quality Sound Matters that um, started uh, trying to educate people about what the options were. And that was about the same time that high-resolution audio uh, HD tracks formed. Um, and now there's three companies like that. And what we're hearing from the major labels is they can't get enough high-res audio product for these Com companies to distribute. So it's real, it's happening, people do hear the difference, and that's why we're trying to let everybody know about it. So we're labeling it now. With right. There is, yeah, yeah, we do, yeah, well, the, you want that story about the... Let, the, yeah, the, let's, the let's go there. The major labels, um, and then I think this is a miracle, have come to a definition of what high-resolution audio is. And that is, it is lossless audio that's better than CD quality, that um, delivers the experience the artist intended to create, and that that, that is like the, the the feeling that you get from the master quality in the studio, and that's kind of a miracle because the labels have to deal with their back catalog of the last thirty years, which is a lot of different kinds of digital formats. It's easy to make high well easy, but it's easy to make high resolution masters from analog recordings because analog reproduces in a different way than a lot of the different digital formats did that weren't as good as the digital formats we have now. So there is actually a benchmark definition. Right. So then we go to Ryan next. 
because oh. <laughs> n- now we're now we're moving we're moving along right we have to in order for uh, high resolution audio to to really take hold we have to have three separate parts of the equation we have to have the cons- uh, the creators making it we have to have the uh, manufacturers uh, making the equipment to be pl- it, for it to be played on and we have to have marketing and education for there to be demand for the creation so my next question is for Ryan. Uh, what? How do you? How are you educating artists, or how are you talking to artists about about creating the highest quality sound uh, and and releases we can? Um, I, I don't have to have a whole lot of. Uh, I don't have to do a whole lot of work. And it, it's simple because when we're making records, we're listening to it in the highest resolution in the re- resolution we're recording it in. And as we're making the records and we're sitting there in the control room and going, oh, that's great, and getting excited and adding overdubs and making the whole thing, we're listening to it in high resolution. So the, the difference is that back in the day, we'd be in the control room listening to this amazing sounding thing and would just, you know, just go, oh, this is so great. And then we'd go and we'd master it and we'd turn, have it turn it into a CD or before that vinyl and it wouldn't sound as good as what we were listening to. And it was always a compromise. And so really, the only people that ever got to hear high-resolution audio were the people in the band, um, a mastering engineer, and a producer, you know, and maybe some spouses. You know, <laughs> and that's it. But now, really, for the first time, everybody can hear exactly what we're hearing. So it's just, if I tell an artist, hey, if we do it this way, they're going to hear the same thing that's coming out of the speakers right now. They're like, well, that's great, because that's going to mean my stuff is going to really kick ass, and that's what people want. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a really easy sell. How do, uh, how do we make sure that the artists are going to own that, that quality uh, and, and, and really push their listeners and their, uh, their, um, their fans to demand that kind of quality? Anybody have any ideas on that one? Is there uh, Maureen specifically? Is there anyone that's not into this high resolution audio initiative? I mean, artist wise, artists, manufacturers, artist. What to have an artist? You're talking about like taking a public plat, being on a public platform about it. Mm-hmm. Here's the person to talk to about that. When Neil talks, people listen. Um, I, I learned that this year because he was our honoree at an event, and I couldn't believe how much press we got. Everyone wanted to hear what Neil had to say. Um, you know, artists, that's in a way not really their job. They have, Especially today when there's so much they have to do just to work and produce their music and, and keep a career going. So we know that they, they kind of do their job when they're recording, and it's our job, I think, to steward that, as they, as they say at uh, some of the record labels these days, steward that music the way it sounded originally and get it out to people who, like you said, can now have it. Yeah. All they have to do is ask for it and figure out where to get it. Mm-hmm. So One way they can get it is having like really pushy engineer co-producers who show up at conferences <laughs> and pontificate. And, you and know, mastering I mean, engineers just, going, you should hear it this Good way. answer. Yeah. <laughs> we promise no grumpy, grumpy old people here. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that's where, Randy, where yeah. I think that's where Pono comes in because uh, it, that's a long time vision of Neil Young and the the uh, premise behind Pono Music is to make what was recorded in the studio what the what the artist recorded and intended it to be uh, available commercially and that's really what Pono is about with the Pono player being able to play back the high resolution files uh, and the store to be able to purchase it. Mm-hmm. So I mean that really 
you know, is w- one of the first ways to have a whole ecosystem for people to actually get that high-resolution music and have that experience and, you know, feel the music that was recorded, the, you know, the way it was. And, and so then you're kind of our, a little bit of a tie-over into the manufacturers making the hardware to be able to, be, to, be able to play back high-resolution audio. So yeah. there aren't many, certainly not many portable players, but you know, nothing that's, that sounds great making uh, or being able to play high-resolution audio like that. Yeah, and that, that's a concept behind the Pono player, that it's a purpose-built device just for high-resolution playback. Certainly we all have a smartphone in our pocket that... Um, uh, you know, it does a million different things. The Pono player, it does, uh, you know, one thing, one thing really, really well, and that's play back the music. Uh, and, you know, all of the, the thought behind the Pono player is to preserve that experience, uh, you know, the circuitry that's inside, the DAC that's inside, to make sure that when people are playing it back, they're playing back and hearing that file that they, they've uh, put on their player. There are some there are some phones um, there that are? will yeah. play back ninety six twenty four and there are uh, four or five different players now the Sony Walkman which is a standalone thing that costs about three hundred dollars that holds forty hours of ninety six twenty four music and the cool thing about the players that are out there now is they play everything from MP three all the way on up so they're trying to make it really easy for people some of them even play DSD mm-hmm. which is a, a little bit more esoteric high resolution format so right. and they're supposed to be more announced at the CES show this year in January so how how do you educate your um, I mean well people that are seeking out Pono or or something like this probably know what they're asking for but what about all the people that don't know about yeah, you know, high resolution? That's certainly you you know, uh, a lot of work that we have to do at Pono to educate people and, and make people understand you know, what the difference is and hear the difference. And you know, that's a big part of the education process that we need to do. Um, uh, Pono launched earlier this year with a Kickstarter campaign, and you know, we had a, a huge outpouring of interest and a lot of backers to make this player and bring it to market. So you know, that, that shows that there's interest. And people, you know, want to have that experience and feel the music the way it was originally recorded. Mm-hmm. So we're definitely excited about it. And, you know, we're at the beginning stages of, I think, this, um, you know, kind of different shift in the, in the digital music age of things. Uh, people wanting to, you know, get back and, and hear what people actually recorded. And, and when do I get one? <laughs> <laughs> when are they coming out? <laughs> well, uh, we're fulfilling all the Kickstarter uh, pledges right now, literally. Oh, really? <laughs> the, Serious? <laughs> 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 that wasn't even a plant. <laughs> um, and then uh, you know we'll, we'll be in some boutique, boutique retailers um, later this month, and then you know next year. Uh, right now, there's a pre-order for it, but you know we're in, we're in a limited run of production uh, because we're a brand new company getting off the ground. But um, you know we're excited to take on 2015 and, and have more inventory and get them out there for sure. Yeah. I was really excited when I heard that, that it, this one in particular was coming out. Um, I, I had two concerns. Number one, I was hoping that uh, we weren't going to go the way of the physical uh, format, like the SACD, and have, uh, have a whole bunch of manufacturers competing uh, and, and uh, just confusing the consumers. On the other hand, the loss of this f- physical media really uh, makes, a, makes a pretty big stepping stone, makes, makes music, um, you know, high-res music more accessible for people. Yeah, definitely. Uh, in the, in the Pono world, it's uh, there's no DRM. We, we sell FLAC files. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, what we have as a baseline is sixteen forty four one, and and up from there, all the way up to you know one ninety two twenty four. So there, you know, there's not a, a 
closed ecosystem that you have to come into to use the Pono player. You can it, it will play MP3s, it'll play waves. If you have an iTunes library, it'll certainly play that back. So mm-hmm. there there isn't that piece of it with with that. Yeah. Mark, I want to uh, ask you a few questions about how uh, about RDO and streaming, um, specifically uh, limitations to to higher quality streaming. Uh, you said that your entire library is uh, 320k. Which is pretty great. So, how do you how do you handle files of that that size, and, and why aren't more companies uh, having that standard? Well, I mean, I think we, you know our goal is to distribute music on a global basis, and I think as much as the highest quality audio experience is, um, you know, kind of fundamental to the the aspiration of any music fan, we have to deal with the practicalities of delivering files, you know, in sixty countries around the world to devices that don't necessarily have enough storage to environments that don't have enough bandwidth. So the practicality of delivering lossless music on a global basis over thin bandwidth is is a, is a massive constraint. So it's taken, and not to mention the fact that we have 35 million tracks that we've had to upgrade um, over a long period of time across a multitude of catalogs. So um, when you think about you know the experiences that people have here, we have devices that have you know 16 plus megabits of storage. We have uh, super high bandwidth environments. You go anywhere out of the states, or in fact New York and you know the, the West Coast and the East Coast, you find that that's not the norm. And then you go to South America, and then you go to Asia, and you're really operating within a series and narrow constraints. So what we want to do is give people that have high bandwidth environments um, and they have local storage on their phones the ability to have the highest quality experience. But, you know, we've built our platform to accommodate for environments that just don't support, um, you know, super high res streaming and, and just local storage on devices. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, w- we'll get there, but this is not the, the environment that we live in right here in San Francisco is not the norm on a global basis. I totally understand. Yeah. <laughs> in so many ways. Yeah. In, in so in so many ways. <laughs> well, what about what about like f- you know five ten years from now? What's that look like for for what everybody here on this panel is doing? Um, you know, when we ha- when we have no bandwidth problems, certainly here in the United States and and potentially in Europe as well. Um, when we have huge hard drives, when we have better DACs to play back files, where are we? What are we doing? Well, I mean, I think we you know we we ask our users all the time um, to make these kinds of compromises so that we can you know inform what we do for the business. And you know, even even locally, when we ask people whether they want want higher quality files or twice as many songs on their phones, the answer is always quali- is quantity over quality. So I think, and I also think that you know, listening is so ubiquitous today. So people listen to music all the time. So they listen to you know music at work and on their phones, online, offline push through low bandwidth environments to, you know, connected speakers, etc. So, um, you know, I think high quality music is best appreciated when you're actually listening to music. And I think if you go back historically, listening to an album was, um, that was a conscious decision to sit there for 22 minutes and listen to music. What's wrong and with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. But, <laughs> but, but there's, not that, there's not that many people that sit down and listen to music and want, you know, at 22 minutes, have to have to think about what they're going to listen to next. And I think it's become so easy to just have music playing without much thought that, um, you know, not only are you not thinking about what you want to listen to, you're, not, you're, you're less focused on the quality because you're playing with your phone and listening to music. So, you know, we, we ask our user base to kind of react to it. And, and, and largely, you know, they're multitasking and listening to music. And I think there was a, a you know, in a bygone era, um, you know, people used to sit down and listen to music and they'd listen to it alone. They'd listen to it together. And now those experiences are, are largely restricted to, you know, the car. So a CD, 
in, in a car with a good stereo is, you know, probably still one of the best listening experiences we have in, in kind of modern life today. Mm, I would say we disagree. That, I would say that the one thing that, that I'd like to see us be doing in the next five years is I'm going to keep on making the best sounding albums that I can. And I think that people, there's going to be a need and a desire for people to want to hear something that really touches them. And so one of the things about vinyl I think that's really great is that there is a ritual associated with it. And it's a well-known ritual. You pull the thing out, you have to work at it, it demands your attention. You know, I don't know how we're going to get there with high res, but I think there needs to be something like that that actually compels people to sit down and, and do that because it, there's there's two different things with with music. There is the kind of you know while you're cleaning the house, but there is that thing and, and vinyl. The resurgence of vinyl, I think, shows that people want that experience. Yeah, and hopefully to, to that point, part of bringing that back that experience is people actually hearing something and hearing how good it can sound. What's in you know high resolution, and you know actually want to sit down and you know maybe listen to a whole album at one, at one time. You know, and I, I got to say just just one little other little thing. I when we make this we made this last album. We're, I'm still doing surround, and if you hear this last Tom Petty album, the Blu-ray, if you hear it in surround, with on a good system, it beats the crap out of everything you've ever heard. And it's very immersive and it's very compelling. So I'm just going to keep on trying to make compelling experiences with the artists that I'm working with for people. Just one other piece of context. I mean, we, you know, we did a little bit of surveying. And um, these days, the, the best stereo people have in their house, the average, the average American, is the one that's connected to their TV. So increasingly, people have you know, Wi-Fi speakers, whether it be Sonus or Jamboxes, but the best stereo in the house is the one connected to the TV. So playing, you know, playing music through your TV on a subscription service has become somewhat ubiquitous. So we distribute music over Roku and Sonus and, and a bunch of others. But you know, you know, Roku over your TV to real speakers is the, you know, one of the best experiences um, our users are having. I was just thinking, did it, were any of you guys in on the Bob yeah. Weir, yeah. Dave, Dennis Leonard talking about your brain on music, really? Um, well, that, actually, that was Mickey Hart, but they, but they were also, for any of you who saw that, but, uh, but they were also talking about that. And um, uh, there's an engineer named Andrew Sheps who's been taking around a presentation called Lost in Translation about how lossy music, because the, what it actually is, is parts of the music are taken away and thrown away that for good to compress it so that you can get it over the pipes and get it where you want it to go in an efficient way and so you're listening to music that is missing part of the music and there's starting to be a lot of I don't know if there's really definitive research on this yet but a lot of conversation about the fact that that does affect your brain and it does affect you physically and that and in not wanting to hear music over and over again that that isn't as complete as the kind of music that Ryan is talking about making. Yeah, it sounds like uh, one of the bottlenecks, though, is is definitely in the consu- or in the consumer manufacturing or the or the software side. Because um, I'm curious now, Mark, why uh, if if it's just that the user base is just is saying oh, it's good enough. Why aren't we striving for the highest possible quality we can get? Is it a money thing? What are the bottlenecks? Is it a money thing? Is it um, is it that there's there's no you know money no money incentive or is it is it just that there, that the the rest of the world is not able to consume this right now? Well, I think there's there is the rest of the world issue. So it is a you know it is a hardware and and kind of bandwidth issue mm-hmm. in most parts of the world. I think lots of users domestically um, th- they don't. 
again, I don't think they trust that they – that's just not an important factor for them. I think things like – you know, ubiquity and the quantity and the size of the catalog and the, you know, ease of, of playback are more important. So I think there's a subsection of people that still listen to albums. I mean, I think the ritual of listening to records is great. You open up a record, you've got lyrics, you've got liner notes, you've got big pictures. A lot of it is the experience of just having a music experience. And I think these days um, people don't, you know, people don't have listening rooms. They have a television with speakers, and and they have mobile devices and tablets. And so, I think people tend to multitask more. I mean, the rise of social networking has stolen time away from listening to music in very real ways. You know, people don't go to the movies either. They watch, you know, TV with a with a laptop um, or a, or a tablet open. So, you know, I think for most consumers, what they're getting, you know, at 192 plus is is enough, and and some people can't recognize the difference, and some people um, just prefer you know ubiquity and, and quantity to quality. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How about what, 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 everybody in the room? Who? How many engineers? Wow. wow. <laughs> so I would say that probably, wow. I mean, I would think that at least half of this room understands the difference in, in quality between like a 320K and a, and a CD quality file. How many musicians here? Okay. How many tech people creating this stuff? Wow. Ah, interesting. So what, uh, Maureen, got it, do you have any thoughts on what we could, oh, I'm sorry, you have a question. Yeah. Testing, one, two, thank you. Um, you know, the thought is for me, it's like, you know, sometimes there's sort of like this, you know, catch-22 of like, you know, is the customer going to drive the demand for this thing that we know is out there? And for me, I think the, the, the analogous experience is, you know, whatever. My dad was really into wine, and I just drank good wine growing up. And so, therefore, when I taste shit wine, it yeah. tastes like shit, and I can't help it. So now I've got this bar, this, that, this bar that's been set for me. I'm just wondering if there's some sort of benevolent kind of dictatorship idea of, you know, kind of along the MIDI Manufacturers Association, you know, if we standardize and get the right ecosystem developed, couldn't we just simply impose this higher taste level on people? And once they've tasted it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really obvious now, yeah. as opposed to hoping someday yeah. that people might have this experience of, oh, I've tried something better, but rather simply, you know, flooding the environment with, like, this is the good stuff. It makes it really hard to go back to the other yeah. thing. So I'm just wondering if other people are seeing potential initiatives, consortiums, these kinds of things to make this a, a greater opportunity rather than just kind of waiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I mean, Maureen, that's exactly what she's doing. Yeah, the I mean, labeling. That, that is just a really of what what the what the P and E wing is, is doing. And with, and other entities, the the, um, the high end audio installers association, Cedia, and the Consumer Electronics Association, whose members make products that play back higher quality audio. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of people who believe in this and are working on it. And trying to give people the biggest thing is giving people finding the opportunity for them to hear the difference. Hear the difference. Most people, like you said, they don't have systems at home to yeah. hear it on. So where do they go to hear it? Yeah, and you got to open that nice bottle of wine and taste it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering if it'll preach you to the choir a little bit. You know what I mean? Just for the average folks to have that experience. Yeah, that was why I was curious who's here, who's in the audience, who's yeah. who's making this music. Yeah. Yeah, like I was saying, I think that's a big part of you know what one of the things that Pono Music has to do for sure is to educate people and give them the experience to hear it so they can taste that really good wine and know the difference for sure. And also, I mean, let's commend Ardio because you're, you're doing this believing that your listeners want to hear it better. 
And so you're taking, you're putting time and effort and money into making it sound better as best as you can. That's practical for you at this point. Yeah, I mean it's a non-trivial task to to upgrade a 35 million song catalog. Um, <laughs> but it's funny we get non-trivial. We, yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot of time, um, but we give people a choice. I mean, so people again, and we're we're just looking at the data. So you give people the choice of 320 or 192, and you go down the line. A lot of people want more songs, not higher quality. So, again, you know, uh, people will listen to music in the way that, you know, it suits them. And I think having, you know, for $10 a month to have effectively the history of recorded music on your device or stream to any device is a powerful concept. So, you know, when you give people a choice of quality or quantity, um, certain people will aspire to, to quality and certain people will say, like, I want it, this is unbelievable. I want as much as I can have. Yeah, as long as, long as there's a choice. I mean, obviously, they, they sell a lot of boxed wine. So... <laughs> It doesn't come with a straw. Oh, we have a, we have a uh, comment over here. Yeah. Um, so, like, in 2003, when they released High Def, tele- when High Def really became the standard, I think it was around 2003 or two. But a few years before that, it was out, but nobody had an HDTV. It was football. Football made HDTV come to the forefront. Is, do you believe there's something out there that will just, you know, maybe a, a Neil Young concert or, you know, a Tom Petty show that's Full on, you know, lossless, and then just blast it. It was football, but it was also legislated by the government to make the transition. Because we've we've sat in the room with the, the head of tech of uh, audio for NBC, who says, "I don't know what's wrong with your audio people. Why are you complaining about this? Well, that that you have this problem with people not hearing it the way they should hear it." She goes, "Just tell them they have to do it and change it all," which is what they did. So he can't understand. We're not like that. This would totally change the landscape, I believe, and and it would make you know nothing less than twenty four forty eight standard. I mean, I think you have to think about how people are listening to music, and they're listening to music through you know iPhone headphones that come with your phone. They're listening to music through bad speakers on laptop computers. They're pushing files around to you know connected devices over low bandwidth environments. So. It's, I think it's more a function of how are people listening to music. They don't have Macintosh you know, systems with Bang & Olufsen turntables, and like, that's not how most people are listening to music. So, But the labels know. are taking a role in this, too, in that they're starting to require 96K 24 masters. 24-bit masters and mastered for iTunes is that they want you to be starting from a 96k 24-bit master so there's starting to be a demand from the people who are going to put out the music to give them the better quality and just on the note with uh, RDO I also I'm an RDO subscriber thank you I have no problem and I I use RDO and, and he's right there are some times where I'm on the go I don't have my full res catalog with me. I couldn't fit it all on my phone, and I could hear it. And I know when I consciously am playing audio, I know I'm getting as good quality as I could get streaming. Nobody else is streaming at that rate that I know of. So there is definitely a, a market for that. Well, actually, Spotify's paid Spotify premium yeah. services at 320 as well, yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. But I don't use Spotify. That's fine. <laughs> so good for you. You asked, uh, you asked a question earlier. What about games? Game game audio could be the the gateway, as could movies, Blu-ray, these physical formats for high-res audio. Um, and there's a very big music component to to both of those um, ways of consuming uh, consuming media as well. I have a question for you though. Why don't why don't uh, do you store higher quality files on people's 
hard drives or could you you know, not necessarily on a device but on a, an actual computer if they have a wi-fi or an internet connection and could you store a 16-bit 44k file we if could you, if you had we, it archived we'd, we'd literally have to go back and upgrade the catalog song by song <laughs> collection by collection so mm-hmm. and i think the answer is you know we're slowly but surely we're moving our way up the quality um specter and we just have to find a place it's funny we did a we did a Deezer actually pushes FLAC files to Sonus-only devices. So we did the Pepsi challenge with our engineers in a room against 320 over the same device, and it was split down the middle. People literally couldn't tell the difference. So at some, at some point in time, I think we reach not the people in this room, but the, the average, the average um, kind of music fan. It'll be, it'll be indistinguishable. So, again, I think there's the you're listening to a record, you're engaged in the listening experience. Part of it is all the context associated. Part of it is most people don't have the chops in the same way that some people don't have the chops to, to differentiate good wine. So um, I, I, it's, it's, I not an, it's not indistinguishable uh, at my house. It's, mm-hmm. it's, real, it's real distinguishable. <laughs> I understand Certainly. that you, yeah. I, but, yeah, un- understand you did, did this research. I, just, I think we should give people more credit and give listeners more credit. For, for Again, we're that, you know yeah. we we are we're at the highest quality that we think we can distribute to a mass audience on a global basis, and we give people literally four choices of the way they want to listen to audio. So that three twenty will go up at some point in time, and when we're excited to do it. So, right on. thanks. Uh, oh, we have a lot of questions here. Um, <laughs> y- you've had your hand up for a long time back there. I'm somewhat confused why you want to sell 9624 rather than selling uh, 5.1 tracks that people could actually listen to on the speakers they've got um, that you're mixing. Um, and also, why not sell um, stems, raw, <laughs> raw, raw mixes so people can remix? That's, that's, people want that. Um, because well, well, I can answer that really quickly. The, the guy that I work with uh, and the people I work with don't want you to do that. <laughs> it's as simple as that. They made it. They made it. They made something they're very proud of. It's just kind of like saying, you know, Da Vinci wants you to give you some some paints with the Mona Lisa. You know, it's like no, you don't get to do that. So, yeah, and and for those, and God bless them, you know. But I'm just saying that the kind of artists that I work with like making something and like giving it to you and having you experience it the way the way they made it, you know. And then the five one is I'm I'm all for that. But the but the remixing is just a different thing. It just depends, I guess, on the genre and who it is. Well, not 96.24 makes a difference. You can hear it, and if you have 96.24 in surround, that's even more super duper. So it's all good. Yeah. Okay. Uh. I can yell. <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder what kind of sound. No, wait, wait, wait. They're recording this. I'll, so. I'll re-ask the yeah, you're going to be just like a weird voice in the background when it gets on. Uh, yeah. uh, tell us about your stereos that you have at home. Like what kind of speakers and stuff? I've got JBL 88s that I bought um, when I, in 1971 when I was about 14, um, and I have a, a Kenwood amplifier. Um, and my system at home is just—it's great. It's my old old school system. I used to when I bought Dark Side of the Moon, I played it back on those speakers. So that's di- but that's different from my studio because the studios work, and, stu- and that's where I've got super duper super super stuff. But I like listening to just regular stuff at home. JBL um, 300 series speakers, and I have Little David Visonics, which are really old. No one here probably even knows what they are. But uh, I'm a portable guy, so I have a Pono player. <laughs> uh, I have uh, Sennheiser headphones. I have a lot of different kinds of headphones. 
I've got a bunch of old stereo equipment, but I've got Sony speakers all over my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a pair of Joseph Audio um, speakers and a VTL uh, IT85 integrated amp preamp. Tubes, tubes, tubes. <laughs> uh, Maureen, I have a quick question for you. Um, what, what about uh, further down the road? Why, why just uh, at least CD quality for the high-res audio? Is it, is it the, the bottleneck or the, uh, of money or, um, or things that are already archived? But oh, you're saying why yeah, is the level? Why is the why benchmark is it just, so low? Is yeah, CD well, quality? Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's practicality. It's, I mean, I think it's a miracle they got the major labels to agree to this and to have the CEA also buy into it and DEG Digital Entertainment Group and then the Recording Academy also signed on that this was a good thing. But it, they have to deal with their back catalog and they and they really don't want to tell people not to pay for anything. I mean, if you want to pay for streaming an mp3 or if you want to i mean we the industry badly needs income so we don't want to take a platform that says um don't buy that it's not good you know just but but offering people the opportunity to hear something better and encouraging them to take a step in that direction is kind of the way they're trying to go mm-hmm. how much how much are we thinking about these these things costing um randy uh, for for albums, so probably yeah. they range anywhere from fifteen to twenty dollars, depending on the resolution. So, mm-hmm. You know, if you get in the one ninety two twenty four range, you're probably more in the twenty five dollar range for an album. Curious, uh, why it costs more money for a higher quality file? We're going off of you know our Just hard di- hard drive space. Well, I, I think it's a decision from the labels. You know, we're getting the product from the labels to resell the albums, and you know, their decision to put a higher price point on it based on their larger files. Mm-hmm. It has more value. Well, in many cases, they're having to go back and remaster yeah, them to do that. Part but of the it. stuff that's on HD tracks, a lot of it is legacy catalogs, mm-hmm. um, and so there's some effort required in doing that too. And and isn't it nice that artists will make more money from all of this? Right, make money yeah. from the higher prices. Yeah. Uh, actually, this um, in the red sh- red shirt there. I just always thought of, I, I've always thought like, why are MP3s more expensive than the WAV file? So I was just I was just m- moving that over to the same business model. I mean, it costs more money to actually make that file from what they're given. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Like mastering engineers, we make you know we we master everything at at least at two x twenty four bit, um, and that's what the master is. It actually takes us more time to make the other versions of the files. Right. Yeah. I'd love to hear this happen, and I've uh, done the crowdfunding thing for Pono, so I'm really excited to have this happen, but I'm scared because I'm not hearing about one of the other problems in the system, which is not the compression of MP3s, but the dynamic compression that's been applied <laughs> to recorded music. Were you it doesn't, No, no, it doesn't I did not. I'm so happy you asked that. <laughs> I did not plant in, in, in the R92. <laughs> I swear. If, if, if you have no dynamics in the original source material, so... How, how is that yeah, going to be redone? Since this room right. has a lot of engineers. In all right, all right, all right. It's okay. So here we go, 30 we, seconds. We were holding Ryan, her back go. on this <laughs> Okay, here's my 30-second pitch on all this, and I have brought this up every one of these conferences, and that is I would much rather hear a 16-bit 44-1 file with full dynamic range yeah, right. than a 2496 file that's been hammered to death. That, yeah. that is just as fatiguing as the lack of resolution, right. if in fact more fatiguing. So what, what I, what we, the way we've decided to do this 
is everything that I do that's full resolution, that's, that, that's, that's high, high res, is also full dynamic range. That's the way that we that's make what I'm these records. For. And, and, but there's a difference. There's one thing that, and we need the tech community to come to our rescue here, because a full dynamic range file is going to be anywhere from 6 to 7 dB quieter than a hammered file. And if you take an average person and you do a listening test, and you say, what do you like better? La, 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 Oh, that one, that's the good one. Because people react to level. And so the only way to really educate the consumer is to give them a, a thing where, they're, where we need to level the playing field. Um, and the only that's way they're going to do it is if, if it's the levels are matched. And, it, and there has to be some way inside the device that does that, that compensates for it. Because if you go into shuffle and you play my high-res version of this album next to you know, Metallica, it's going to be ridiculous because you'll be going, ah, 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 ah. So that, that's one thing that's very important, and I think we need to address it. But that, that's the difference. You know, you, doesn't you, Soundcheck and iTunes do that? It doesn't do it. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. That There's one's not good answer. enough? <laughs> <laughs> you, run, you run into distortion problems. And, yeah. yeah, there really isn't. It's, it's almost like the file needs to have some kind of thing right. embedded that has a dynamic range thing that, that, that's, a, that's part of the file information so the player knows what to do with it. Exactly, metadata. Mm-hmm. There is. So for all you tech people who raised your hand, there's a problem to solve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say there is a, it's based on the ITU uh, standard for uh, uh, average listening level, and it is embedded, but it's, again, it's part of the, I, the MP3 community. So we've got to get that into the FLAC world, and we've got to get it into the AI, or the, well, I guess we can't use AI, right? Whatever, we, we should get that into FLAC then. Well, you know. that's not a... You, you could put it in FLAC, but if you do, as your fine work, such as on Hypnotic Eye and the other recent releases where you nothing's crushed, you don't need it because you're, you're already setting your peaks for whatever, you know, uh, where, you know maybe half a dB of full scale. So right. That, so that you, whatever the natural range of that, that music is, is going to play, whether it's jazz or classical or rock. Yeah, exactly. You've got you to take the sausages and, 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 and lower them, you know. Right, but what I'm saying is when, when you are using compression, that's when you do need to have some sort of reference level. But if you're not using compression, then it's going to be the natural sound of the recording. Uh, I just want to be able to, f- to turn down all that other stuff about 7 dB. That's oh, okay. yeah, of course. <laughs> I, want, I, want that, you know, that I, I just think that it's something that's going to be very important because I think that unless we address it, I think we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot at the starting line because people aren't, people, consumers are not going to get it if there's this huge, these huge discrepancies. That's why, actually, in a funny way, the Blu-ray, although it's kind of a dying medium, what's great about it is that it's a physical thing, but you put it in, and there's nothing competing with it. You get, you're, it's not like you're going to go into shuffle mode and hit another, another track. You're going to put this in, you're going to turn the volume to a level that sounds right, and you've got an experience. I think one of the things, I heard you on your panel at the AES uh, in, in Los Angeles last month, and one of the things I think the recording in- industry understood was that when CDs came out in the 80s, the promise was this is a quiet medium, yeah. uh, there's no noise, so yeah. all that analog tape had hiss, so they had to compress it to, so you wouldn't hear the noise to keep their promise that the CD really is a new quiet medium 
for for a lot. No, nobody. I, no, I, I disagree. I think what happened is the same thing that happened with with anything. Okay, we promise we aren't going to go too long about this, but it's <laughs> they, a, they want to hear it. It's the same thing that happened when when people made records back in the day. The loudest record was the one that won. And so when they made CDs, that they started out and they go, "Oh, we got all this headroom," and then someone else said, "Hey, I'm going to make my CD louder." And then someone else said, hey, I can make it louder than that. And then someone else said, hey, I got a digital limiter that I can put on everything that will really make it loud. And so it just, it just escalated. So, you know, back when CDs started, actually some of the earlier stuff sounded okay. You know, the, the converters weren't that good, but the dynamic range at least was there. So, you know, once again, it's just conscious decisions people are making. And, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna, I've decided that I'm just raising the white flag on the loudness war with the high-res stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be quiet. I'm not you know, so. I don't want to compete on that level when we go into this medium because we already great. killed ourselves before. One one last point I think is important. You're asking how do you get the mass market to even know it's here? If you take a really well recorded album like your most recent and you downsample it to CD, it's still going to sound great and warm. Yeah. You know because of the care that went into. If the source is good, you can play it at CD. Yeah. You may not quite have that time information that's available in high res that the ear seems to respond to. But it still sounds great. Well, thank a you. Good way yeah. to start. Yeah, I mean, we're just we're just trying to make it, you know. And I think this has a lot to do with what, with what you're doing. It's like, I think we I think people need to have the resolution of whatever they're they're listening to scale to whatever their, their system is. I mean, I should buy that album once, and I should say, you know, when I'm listening to it in super duper, I want super duper. When I'm listening to it in something and I, and it has to push through a certain kind of bandwidth and there's a limitation, that thing should just scale. That that should just be, you know, I should buy this thing once. And then that, you know, that would be really nice. Yeah. Okay, tech people. You know. <laughs> uh, Tony? Yeah, a, a big question that's come up for me over thinking about this panel is, is it quality or is it convenience? Not for the people consuming it, but for the manufacturers. Who wants to show off their, their hardware in the best light? Okay, so do they ask for high, the highest quality sources they can get? Or do they look for something that's just convenient and easy to get to their client? to their customers. I think that it's, uh, it's, it's appropriate for different types of listening environments, but you know, something like, uh, what Pono is doing, it's, it's meant to be portable. You're giving them the highest quality thing they can get and still be portable. Yeah. And in that case, you're, you want the quality. That's what Mm -hmm. it's all about as opposed to having Mm -hmm. something play back on your smartphone where you're, you just want quantity and, and carry a lot of it. Yeah, I was. I, I was thinking. I asked you specifically. You know, what part of why we have to have super duper loud um, files and MP3s? Like, okay, going way way back to terrestrial radio, we had to compress it so that it would go further. Now we have MP3s where they have to be super loud and compressed, just because the DACs in the in the mobile devices can't play back loud enough. People want to be able to actually hear it, and that's like it's a big concern that people have. They go, it's really loud. It sounds great on my system when I turn it up, but I can't hear it on my iPhone. Well, you guys are actually creating something with a with a high-quality DAC in there as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, partner Air Acoustics helped with the internal circuitry and the DAC component of it. Thanks. Um, to follow up on the question of <clears throat> average loudness, this one's actually probably a best Best, uh, this question is probably best to send to Piper. Um, sorry. Oh, okay. um, if we were to have a flag or a, uh, a, a tag that identifies the, uh, the level so we could compare them and average them, um, my guess is would we call it average volume level for the length of the track? Some sort of peak RMS averaged mm-hmm. over the entire length of the track perhaps? How would you phrase that so that if we were to 
uh, say in one of the standards that many of us work on, uh, have a metadata flag in the stream that says this is the average level of this track. What would we call that? Tony's really trying to figure it out. <laughs> I know, yeah. Would we call we that have, average volume level? Well, there, I think there are already things that, that analyze it and, and know kind of ahead of time. But personally, very personally, I wouldn't want anything doing any extra processing in the files that I'm making. No, no, no. But, what I yeah, meant was uh, what Ryan was speaking of earlier, how we, when we're playing track to track and we switch to the next mm -hmm. track, we can offer up a, a field that says, hey, player, this is the average volume of this next track. Mm -hmm. You can do a one-time adjustment at the beginning of the track so that they match. Right. Or album, album yeah. yeah. So then you could set that flag, the same for the entire album. Um, what would you call that? I think you would call that average volume level yeah. over the course of the track, right? Yeah, well, is it, is it just, I mean, but are we analyzing the peaks or are we analyzing the average level? There's the question. So that's yes. like, I, I they're two very different things based on the content, you know, for... Isn't there the, the catch meter? Doesn't that isn't yeah. that part of you know the catch yeah. meter? Didn't they figure that out? Didn't? Yeah, I don't. There, yeah, there are different. There are a lot of different types of plugins. There's different ways to that. calculate it. Yeah. yeah, But if we could come to an agreement on that's just sort a, of that's just how to represent thing. that numerically, right. Right. then we could tell the player. Well, right. But we I'm, have loudness units. That's a that's a thing now. That that's not um, uh, things can things can be analyzed by actual loudness now, um, not necessarily. Yeah. And uh, and to your to your question, that's a it's a, a scaling for the meters and the way to look at the loudness, not necessarily a process. I think that's running on the file. Right. I mean, that's something that could that you know if, if you if done properly could be done in mastering. You just were the you know it's it's looked at it's it's been it's given a thing and then when you, before you deliver the file, the file just has that 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 chunk in it that says that. You know. What about from a more um, organic place though? What if we had the artist actually embrace a better sounding record? Rather than a super loud record, and actually be con—I mean, you know, it's like I know it might not work, but be confident about it and and say, I think this sounds great. You should listen to it this way. It doesn't have to be stupid loud. Well, I I, I fought that battle and lost when it came to CDs. I'm I'm sorry. Anybody I work with is not going to unilaterally disarm. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. In the CD world, the the loudness war has been lost lost. You know, and I've got the bru the bruises to prove it. I think we're coming you know. back, though. I, I feel good. Well, I don't know. I think that I think that the high res space gives you gives you a chance for the reset. I think the CD is going to be pretty much we're, we're relegated to where it is, and it's going it, it it went too far, and we backed off a little bit. And I think we all know that all all you know all of us. And so we I found out a way to make it tolerable, and it has a lot to do with the way that I mix stuff. And you know, I don't use any bus compression on the mix, so that means that. I only get the peak slammed once at the very, very end. I'm, so I'm not adding insult to injury, which is, you know. So, <laughs> but so, I, think, I, I think that, the, the, you know, artists want to compete. They're, they're, you know, they're competitive. So you can't really expect them to say, hey, let's make your, your CD, your rock CD 4DB quieter. Uh, two things. Well, we're going to go over just a little bit because we got started really late. Um, so we'll continue to answer questions and things until about uh, five, six after. Um, I have a question for Maureen, though. Um, thinking about the future and how we we don't have um, physical media, that, and maybe also for Randy, um, we're, we have the, this loss of physical media kind of already starting. What, what does that look like for the future? I mean, we have... Um, 
uh, I think we have a really tremendous opportunity to to keep branding high high resolution audio. Um, but what about things like? Are you guys thinking about DSD, DXD in the future as well for your players or even some other format we haven't even thought of? Like a little baby tape player or something inside of Pong? Why stop here? Why stop here? Why aren't we thinking? Like, like why are we we doing stuff for right now? Why aren't we thinking about the future five, ten years from now? I think we're trying to unconfuse the consumer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, And not get into, and make sure, like whoever said that before, not get into format wars. Mm Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want yet to go the way of the SACD, which was just super confusing for people. Yeah, I think the first step is just getting people to understand what the difference is and you know how they've been listening to music uh, over the last ten years, and they're not listening to it in the highest resolution possible, and what the difference is. And people can get to the point where they hear the difference, and those people that care about the quality will will be interested in it before we go to the next level. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Uh, we had a couple more questions. I think in this row, somebody. We're, oh, we're already done. All right, well, I'll do it. Okay. <laughs> well, I was just thinking about the, you know, we were talking about quality sound matters, and we got into the point where you guys were talking about. This isn't really a question. It's just more so the idea that we're look, we, you know, we got into where loudness seemed to um, uh, be a substitute for quality. And so we have an opportunity without, without, media, without physical media to look at pushing the quality, even looking at surround in headphones. We were talking about that briefly. Yeah. Uh, is an opportunity to be able to push the limits of what we can do uh, and that kind of thing. It's unfortunate that we have that the loudness for the consumers makes a bigger difference than it does, than, than quality does. You know, Jerry Springer was on the air way longer than Phil Donahue, you know, the shouting matches stuff. But if we can look at education, so let's, so let's, let's uh, you know, how can we educate the artists to be able to, as engineers, it's our job to educate the artists that we work with but we're also the bridge between the consumer because we're also fans and we listen. So if we can find a way, we look at the, the three-prong, having manufacturers, having the bottleneck go away, having content. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, I think we actually can if we stop, with, we stop allowing them to say that this is acceptable and just put a say, this is what we're doing. It's worked in the past. Video world did it with screens. Nobody makes, and I use that, nobody pulls up a phone and says, I'm going to make Lord of the Rings look great on this phone and hope it looks good in the theater. You know, yeah. we're, not, we're, we're revolving around a device rather than we are around content. So mm-hmm. uh, I applaud everybody for their effort. Thanks. Uh, we have a comment or you know, question. One, one thing I did was uh, when I made ref CDs for artists, I always made sure they're about 2 dB quieter than the actual CD. It's a really important thing, too. If, they, if somebody wants a CD, don't give it to them too loud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That way the master one sounds so much better. <laughs> uh, I live between a uh, major university and Amoeba Records, and all the kids at the university are buying vinyl again. Yeah. And uh seems to me that there's going to be a bigger vinyl market than there is a high audio quality market. But those vinyl all come with uh, free MP3s that mm-hmm. those kids throw away because they're all using streaming services for convenience. And maybe there's a good place for there for if you buy vinyl, you then mm-hmm. get high-quality audio. You get that with the Tom Petty album. Yeah. You get that. You I'll get flax. S- I'll speak to that real quick. Um, something to remember is that the vinyl that's being created nowadays there's really a very small percentage of it that's actually being created from analog recording right. and analog masters and uh and i've uh, we've gone and talked to um vinyl manufacturers about what types of masters they're getting and a lot of them are getting cds or just the cd master yeah. and then they're cutting vinyl from that yeah 
So as long as we're on the topic of audio quality, let's remember that vinyl nowadays is not really the same as vinyl that, you know, in the heyday of, of high, you know, high quality audio. Not all of it. There are a lot of people that are creating really high quality analog recordings or they're creating vinyl, um, vinyl pressings from a high res, um, either 2496 or 24192 file, which is great. Um, you know, part of that is just because vinyl mastering became a lost art. So a lot of people who are doing it now are, don't really know how to cut for vinyl. And so they don't even know. The, and, and the artists don't know. They like the and, – and God bless them, they're buying them. That's yeah. – you know, don't want to tell people that it doesn't sound as good as they, as they think it does or as good as it could if it was recorded and mastered and cut to fit the media. Right. Yeah, I think we, you know, it's it's definitely as as consumers of vinyl n- now this new resurgence of vinyl. It's really important to be demanding that, you know, if it's if it's an analog format like that, how cool, how much cooler would it be if it was actually analog recording or an analog, at least an analog master or a high res master being delivered for that cutting. Yeah, and to, and to your point, that's actually one one of the things uh, we're working on right now, talking to labels about, you know, being that blow-in card in the vinyl and getting those downloads could they be pono files that you know yeah. that, that would be a really That'd great awesome. way to deliver it yeah yeah because it's yeah. i mean a lot of a lot of mastering engineers are making or you know they, a lot of them are making high-res masters for vinyl or at least delivering the high-res master that was for cd for the vinyl but there are also a lot that don't know uh yeah we hit on that at the beginning a little bit but um yeah, in addition to that definition about lossless audio that's better than CD quality, there's a co- they're working on a series of codes for the people that really want to know the provenance of the recording. Um, you've probably heard that like HD tracks and, um, and also mastered for iTunes got busted when people who purchased the product looked at it, looked at the files and saw that it wasn't 9624 to start with. So they want to be transparent now about that. So that's um, they're they're the codes are a little complicated that for people who want to delve into it. So it's so they're not right. They're not as easy to say as that definition, but they're working on that, too. Thanks. Okay, so we're going to I think we have time for one more question. And then I'm going to ask all the panelists to leave us with one last thought about how to how to keep how to keep. I know I'm asking so much of you guys (laughs) how to keep up the quality. One last question over here. Well, my point is. my experience is when you talk to people about listening to MP3s and saying there's so much better quality, there's a sense that they feel that you're talking down to them. Even though you're trying to educate, they think that you're telling them you're listening wrong and you should do it better, and they tune you out immediately. Yeah. And my thought has always been that you don't need to educate you need to get them to feel the difference. You don't need to get them to hear the difference. You need them to get to an emotional state where emotionally they connect with that higher quality. So do you have any comments? I think you can educate till the end of the day, and it's probably not going to make a big difference. Well, but hearing the difference makes you feel the difference. Yeah, hearing yeah. is believing. That's what I said. Yeah. Hearing and is believing. That's true. And we're, and, and the, I'm the, not talking about physically feeling the difference, but an, an emotional way it's the same thing mm-hmm. isn't it yeah you'll get yeah. it you'll I, get I, it i don't think so well I, mean, I think when you watch a movie on a big screen in a movie theater you have a deeper emotional resonance with the work than you do when you watch it on a tablet or an iphone right and 
when people move to get a 50-inch television in their house, one of the reasons they do that is because they want to replicate that larger emotional impact that they get from going to a movie theater. That's what sold that television to them, not the new electronics or whatever, 4D or anything else. It's that emotional impact that they're going to get out of it. I think that's the way to sell a higher-res type of any entertainment experience. But I mean, I think to, to answer, to, to use the movie analog, I think filmmakers make films to be seen on screens, but increasingly people are sitting at home on 50-inch screens watching, you know, film stream from Netflix to a Roku box in a low-res environment. And I think, you know, to the point about records, and I spend a lot of time with labels, and they're, they're very excited that there's this physical media property that's on the rise. They're mostly selling albums to younger people. Um, who are ditching codes, and, and that's about a different listening experience. It's not about the quality at all. It's about the packaging. It's about the tactile experience of pulling a red vinyl record out of the sleeve and putting it on a turntable and having to get up in 22 minutes and make a conscious decision about what to listen to. So, I mean, again, I think it's about, you know, we're in, a, in an attention-starved environment, and people really just sitting down and listening to music or being in a place listening to music undistracted is 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 the goal for you know for higher quality music and for films people sit on their couch with their phone and you know even if they want to watch the film they're in IMDb and then that leads them to somewhere else so I mean I think people are increasingly distracting the art experiences with other um, with other mediums so again I think records represents a different immersive experience in music which is way more proactive you know by design and less less about quality I think that's you know at least that's the that's what the label's perception is. But to go back to your, the first part of what you said about telling people that they're doing it wrong, I think the organizations that are involved in this initiative are trying really hard not to do that, even in the, the definitions. They're not saying you know, that they want to be able to sell the product that they have that was created not fitting this definition. So I think everyone's trying to encourage people to take a step up and do something to hear it better, but not that what they're doing is bad. And then eventually, when they start seeing the HRA label, then know it's quality. They don't necessarily, they don't have to know what it means. Just know they just start, you know, it's synonymous with quality after a while. Somebody gave Ted Cohen a microphone. That's a big oh. mistake. Okay, I walked into a panel that I didn't sit in on, but you know, I've lived this for the last ten years. So I just, I just literally heard your exception. I, I have to take exception to what you said. Uh, I'm, everybody who knows me, I know a lot of anecdotes. The anecdote is, I never liked Metallica. Uh, I worked on the iRiver uh, A&K player last year, and I got eight, um, the folks from HD Tracks sent me a bunch of stuff, including the Metallic album with Enter Sandman. I must have listened to that now a hundred times. I've never heard something sound so good. I heard stuff in there. The Doors cat. They sent me the whole complete Doors catalog. It's brilliant. Yeah. I hear stuff in there that I never heard on the vinyl. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, great stuff. So I do disagree that it is an emotional experience and you find yourself basically your pulse slows down and you kind of lean back into the couch and you do listen. It's not this cursory thing of something playing in the background. You hear stuff you've never heard before in your life and it's, it's amazing. I, I don't disagree, but I'm saying in order to sell this... You have to put a pair of headphones on somebody. I mean, that's it. I mean, Elliot Shiner, can I do one, 30, 10 seconds? Elliot Shiner produced Steely Dan. I asked Elliot Shiner to listen to the player a year and a half ago, and I said, I'm not asking you to endorse anything. I just want you to give me your reaction to high-quality audio. He's been paid a fortune to design the ELS system for Acuras. Right. If you have an ELS, if you have an Acura, you have his system. 
He picks up the player for like 15 minutes and goes, when you have something like this in your pocket, it's the first time in your life that you ever hear music the way I intended for you to hear music. It's a completely different experience. And it is getting people, literally stopping them on the street and saying, put on a pair of headphones and listen to this. And I know that sounds, you know. She's taking the mic away. Goodbye. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Randy, last thoughts? Uh, yeah, I was just say last thoughts. I think we're at the beginning stages of sort of a mini renaissance here of people getting really in, in, into uh, high resolution audio and caring about it. And, um, you know, we're really excited to be a part of it with Pono. Thanks. I have no last thoughts except the music, the way the artist and the engineers intended you to hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my, my last thought is, you know, there was a thought about engineers always having a certain kind of quality that they're trying to maintain I've just never made the album that I wanted to make that sounds the way I want it to sound I'm just going to keep on doing it and, and, and if I get closer I want everyone else to hear what I hear it's just as simple as that yeah I mean I think we're just focused on trying to distribute the most music to the most people in the most environments and so that's really about consumer choice so we, we will continue to you know make available the best quality um, you know music that is distributed distributable to, to a global audience so Thanks. Uh, musicians and engineers, strive for your highest quality you possibly can because it's your reputation, and that's what's going to sell your records. So, uh, Thank you very much to everybody that's here. Thank you all for, for being here until 10 after 6. Now it's time for your cocktail party. Go have fun. Be safe.